Hello and welcome to IdeaGen TV, powered by Azure and presented globally by Microsoft. Today, we are thrilled to welcome Dr. Christine Galen, Senior Director of Programs at the ION Houston, and also Chair of IdeaGen Houston, Galveston, and Philadelphia. Dr. Galen, welcome. Well, I am so thrilled to be here um, for our power panel chat today. We're talking about goal nine, which is building resilient infrastructure promoting inclusive and sustainable industrialization and fostering innovation. And as I thought about this panel and our panelists, I wanted us to have a strong grounding across all of the ex exciting um, activities happening, not just in Texas, um, in the Houston Galveston area, but also in Philadelphia. And so I've pulled together truly the experts in this space here to talk a little bit about their work as it relates to goal nine. So I will call each one of them up and they can give an introduction for themselves. Um, the first one, I am thrilled to have had a chance um, not just to collaborate with Dr. Larry Kaiser, but also he was one of my professors and his class was one of the fundamental classes that sharpened my own approach to creativity. So Larry, come on up and introduce yourself. Thank you, you're the number one student. You're my best student ever. Well, there we go. <laughs> I wear multiple hats at Drexel. Uh, I'm a assistant clinical professor, but I'm also the program director for the creativity and innovation programs here at the university. Uh, I'm the associate director of a recently funded center, the Freddie Reisman Center for Translational Research in Creativity and Motivation, as well as co-director of the Drexel Torrance Center for Creativity and Innovations. We're the only uh, center outside the University of Georgia that uh, Paul Torrance, Dr. Torrance, who is the father of creativity, actually gave permission to use his name. Uh, and the co-founder at Drexel in the, uh, for the Education, Learning, and Brain Science is a research collaborative called the eLabs. I love that. And we are so thankful you're here. Um, our next panelist, Ali, is one of my just incredible people, my thought leaders, uh, someone whom I look up to immensely for her work at NASA and beyond. So, Ali, come on up and introduce yourself. Thanks, Christine. My name is Allie Llewellyn. Um, I'm a strategist at the Johnson Space Center. I've been at JSC for many years, worked at NASA headquarters for a while, and done a lot of work in data strategy and creative collaboration. One of my favorite parts of my role is I manage our on-site co-working and creative space, um, where we have built an actual facility to help people do this kind of external innovation work, um, both for their internal work, but with external partners. And so love, love doing all kinds of new opportunities, uh, new, new approaches to help people uh, explore the work that we do in, in, at NASA. Awesome, Allie, thank you so much. Um, and last, but certainly not least, um, I would like to call up to the virtual stage, um, someone who has truly taken and leads at the helm of Texas Southern University here. Um, Omonike, if you wouldn't mind coming up to the virtual stage and telling us a little bit more about your role and what you do over at Texas Southern. 
Yes, thank you very much, Christine. So um, like Christine said, my name is Omonike Olaleye and I currently serve as the Associate Provost and Associate Vice President for Research at Texas Southern University where I uh, lead our research and innovation effort. And um, also I lead several of our federally funded grant programs. One uh, very important infrastructure that we recently received last year is called the Research Center for Minority Institutions. Uh, and I lead that effort in using uh, biomedical research to address underlying health disparities in our community. We also built out a, a novel uh, community engagement infrastructure. In addition to that, I'm also the uh, PD, one of the co-PDs for the CIPRIT Center's funded uh, state facility for developing uh, preclinical development of anti-cancer drugs. Um, in addition to that, I lead our maternal and child health student training program funded by HERSER. And uh, lastly, I also run a lab uh, where I uh, passionately use innovative biomedical and public health strategies to address uh, real problems in our community, uh, doing drug discovery and development here at Texas Southern University. Thank you again for inviting me. You're welcome. And I am convinced there is nothing you don't do. So I am so <laughs> thrilled with this panel. As I, as I said, when I introduced our panel, we truly have the country's, if not the world's, experts here talking to us today about goal nine. So let's hop right in. Um, we'll get to talking a little bit about how our work relates to goal nine. So when we think about these kind of big goals of build, building resilient infrastructure, promoting this inclusivity, um, sustaining and fostering innovation. What does that all mean uh, with regards to our work? So Ali, maybe I'll let you talk a little bit about your work and some examples there. Yeah, what it really means to me is about creating space for new ideas to add value. I have to do very applied innovation in the context of, of both a government institution, but a really large technical organization. And so the four things that that I places I think I've really intersected this, um, I, my work is embedded in the facilities and operations organization. And that seems like an unlikely place to start talking about innovation, but place really determines what happens in between. How you create a space really changes what happens inside that space. And so being able to create unique spaces has been one way we've built an infrastructure for ongoing innovation. Um, I love creating diverse open collaborations. You know, a lot of organizations really believe that the best talent is internal. They know the answers to all the questions. And one of the joys has been helping people recognize, even at NASA, right, a place of incredible talent. It's not all internal. And so we need to create this open innovation culture that sees the need to collaborate externally. Uh, thirdly, I think think about this in terms of driving uh, data-driven decision-making and, and creating a space where we're looking at data regularly to influence how we make innovation decisions, how we make operational decisions, all those pieces. And so training people to do that, I think is really vital if you want to have sustainable long-term innovation. And the last thing I'd give a shout out to is mentoring. Mentoring, I still argue, is one of the number one ways that, that in my, myself and my organization that I've seen changes 
the way uh, um, we it solve problems, changes the way we answer questions, changes the way we recruit talent, changes who's available to be our talent. Mentoring is sewing in uh, to that innovation infrastructure. I love those four points that you laid out. And I was thinking, and I'm so glad you said mentoring, because I know that's such a large part of how knowledge is transferred, how, how mm-hmm. we, we collaborate to solve problems. And so I'd love to go over to Larry. Um, I know you have done this with, with vast success over at Drexel as connecting these dots and putting these programs together and promoting them. Indeed, and I couldn't agree more with everything that was just said about the need, but where it goes kind of wrong and what we need to really focus on is that it can't wait until they get that people begin uh, starting the workforce. It's got to begin in schools. And right now, schools across the world are not uh, prepared for teaching um, their students the skills necessary in order to enter the workforce, being able to ideate, uh, to be able to be creative and innovative in order to then to be entrepreneurial down the road, uh, but to come up with new ideas. That takes training. Uh, the neuroscience of creativity tells us that, you know, we're, we're programmed to do things the way it's always been done before. And there's an awareness factor that you need to be aware that creativity is not intuitive. Uh, people uh, use it, um, but again, but once you realize that you, your mind doesn't work that way, then uh, you're able to then take the necessary steps to be intentional about being creative. And all that has to start to, and starts building up the neural networks and the neural uh, connections in the mind in order to build the triggers into the workforce in order for that all to occur. Mm -hmm. So until that happens, which means you have to change the teaching education process, you've got to prepare teachers in a different way uh, to, to, um, uh, to reinforce creativity and innovation and mindset in order for all that to work. And I love that you, you said that Larry, because something that I thought about when you were talking about the neuroscience of creativity is that building resilient infrastructure externally is very difficult if we don't have that infrastructure here to begin with. Mm-hmm. And so we'll do another power panel, maybe in a little bit on, on the neuroscience of it all. But I do want to give um, Monique a chance to talk a little bit about how she has created that infrastructure at TSU with all, with all of her programs and her research. Thank you. I think this is amazing. I totally agree with what Ali and Larry said. And at Texas Southern University, when I had this opportunity uh, to uh, start at TSU about 14 years ago, I think one of the key things that I realized was that synergism in uh, partnerships and collaboration was very key, not just in-house at Texas Southern University, but also leveraging the other existing infrastructures and partners that we have. I realized that TSU played a big role strategically at the largest medical center in the world. And so we quickly uh, rallied around uh, several academic institutions, industry partners. The idea was to build this innovative ecosystem and make sure that it's resilient. And a couple of things that programs that I put in was providing a collaborative culture uh, through synergizing all our existing research infrastructure. So we had things that were happening in silos, but pulling it all together, centralizing, but not just centralizing or consolidating, but making sure that the effort is actually producing maximum impact. And so one of the things we did, for example, was we started um, 
several programs, workforce programs, uh, educational pipeline programs, all the way from K through 12 to postgraduate to make sure that we have this educational continuum, not just in education, but also in research and in the translational workforce and being able to take that also to the community. So I think that's one plus that we have that leverage. We have on parallel trust with our community at TSU. We're sitting in the middle of the third largest county in the nation, sitting in the mm -hmm. uh, middle of the uh, fourth largest city. So being able to do a lot of leadership and economic development programs towards sustainability, more importantly, team science. So we recently started a team, what we call the team RCMI. It's for junior faculty and senior faculty. So senior faculty, mentor, junior faculty, as well as research scientists. It's a one-year curriculum and mm -hmm. they have to work together collaboratively producing research that not just is cool science but things that actually impacts the community in addition to that we started a leap what we call the leap leap program leadership education and advancement in undergraduate research pathway so in this pathway we uh, brought uh, undergraduate students we started out with 25 of them and we joined them with 15 graduate students and a slew of faculty uh, and research staff in mentoring uh, teams to actually hold their hands as they address uh, different um, questions that are challenging our communities. So we had a very transdisciplinary approach to that. So as the students work in their various labs, every Thursday they will come together for two hours to do a lot of uh, uh, collaborative seminars, research, topics and also to see how does it really happen in the real world and take that to the community. So we had a lot of community engagement training for them and also deployment of demonstration projects. So I believe in building a combined and synergistic infrastructure, but more importantly, programming activities that actually brings the talent together uh, real time in-house, but training it all, just like Larry said, all the way from the schools K through 12 to postgraduate training, have that weave through. So we call that an educational and uh, research and translational continuum. So we have such programs at TSU because we, we have the beauty of having 10 colleges and schools under our umbrella, uh, different disciplines. So being able to see them come together to solve real world problems uh, in this you know, ecosystem is just amazing. I love that. I'm actually gonna call you back up in just a second because as I was listening, I heard a lot of words that talked about partnership and collaboration. And I think, you know, the, the question for all of our panelists, but we'll, we'll start with you, Omanike, is what really makes a good partner, right? When you look at someone who is really committing to do the work, everyone will say, oh, that's such a great idea. Yeah, let's do it. But then, you know, taking that next step, it's kind of, you know, okay, who's going to roll up their sleeves and do the work with me? So what makes a good partner? Um, we'll start with you and then we'll go we'll go on to Larry and then to Allie. Sure. I think that's a very great question. I, I believe that um, what makes a good partner, two main things for me, what I look out for is uh, previous productivity, previous pro pro productivity and uh, also trust. So when we go into uh, partnerships, we uh, examine what these people have done before and how they've leveraged their resources. So the idea is to come together to maximize this partnership. So previous productivity and trust, being able to establish trust from the beginning and hopefully consistently. And once you start seeing red flags to uh, bring everyone to the table. So that transparency is key. Um, but also making sure that there's equity. So one of the things we've also found mm -hmm. 
you know, people want to form partnerships, but when they come to the table, you, you realize, wait a minute, this is not equitable. And again, I'm coming mm -hmm. from one of the largest historically black colleges in this country. And we've had a lot of institutions or industry partners, health systems reach out to us. And one thing I always make sure for is when we get to the table, is this equitable? Are we leveraging our strengths? Is, is each partner bringing something to the table? And uh, are we going to end up with maximum productivity and uh, making sure that there's transparency and trust? I love that. And Larry, we'll go over to you because I know that through partnerships and, and the way in which you in particular have structured the relationships, um, Drexel has been able to accomplish so many sustainable and equitable initiatives. Yeah, it, it comes from everything that was said before, but it's really an organization that's willing to commit and provide the time and resources and the, uh, in order to do the partnership work. Uh, collaboration mm -hmm. takes time, it takes work, it takes training. Uh, you just can't say we're going to be collaborative and do it. You, you have to prepare people for these things. You have to have supervisors that uh, allow for the collaboration to be part of the work day um, and uh, in order to continue it moving forward and, and recognizing it in terms of the evaluation of employees who are doing the work. Um, Sometimes it involves a time off in order to uh, to commit. Uh, it's allowing people to um, uh, just giving them really the, the time and acknowledgement. Um, that's really the key of, of partnership, the commitment and being able to put your money where your mouth is. I love that. I love that you're stressing kind of the commitment, the time, and the acknowledgement. And I, I think I'll, we'll go over to Allie now because she's done a fabulous job in her initiatives at Johnson Space Center and beyond being able to set that stage for partners. So Allie, we'll go over to you. Yeah, I love what both my co-panelists here have said. Um, the thing that I would add is Jen Polka, uh, who used to run Code for America, did a profound speech that really impacted me several years ago about we have to build collaborations that build with people, not for people. And so in my mind, when I think about good partners, I actually think about are, are at that equitable table, have we invited the people that we want to build with? Have we invited the people who are going to benefit from whatever we're doing here together? Are they included in it? Or are we just at this table in this back room over here and we're going to turn around and tell them what we're doing for them? And so I think a good partner, I'm kind of answering what's a good partnership around what makes a good partner. But if you have that trust and you have that commitment, I think it's also being sure you're partnering directly with the people who will be your users down the road because you need Need their input, um, you need their direct engagement. So you do human-centered design around that. Um, and so they need to be part of that. So I guess I'd say a good partner isn't removed, uh, but is right there in with the users or the beneficiaries or the community uh, that's in need. I love that you kind of brought in design thinking too, is, is you're designing it to a user. And I think maybe that's you know, perhaps a footnote here in our conversation on goal nine that we can just kind of ride out and say, hey, let's check out design thinking and the wealth of, of research and mm -hmm. kind of strategy behind that for building out and accomplishing goal nine. 
um, because we can't do this in isolation and we can't do it alone. And so as we head into kind of our final questions here, um, is there any advice that you would want to give for the leaders, the champions, the individuals who are committing to accomplishing goal nine? Um, any advice or maybe a call to action or something that maybe didn't come up before in our conversation and you've got to say. Uh, so why don't we go, Larry, we'll start with you um, and, and we'll give you the virtual floor here. Thank you. It's key that it's a multi-pronged approach. It has to happen at multiple levels. You need people who are currently in the workforce to implement. You need the leadership in the workforce to implement. But first they have to understand and know how to do it. They need to know how to build collaboration. All that takes training and most organizations don't have it. But also you need to prepare the current workers and uh, train them for that mindset. But it has to even go back, you know, nothing will be sustainable unless there's an ongoing source uh, and a structure for replenishing the workforce. And so it has to go back, as I talked about earlier, with, at the school age children. And it, it requires a change in the way that we educate folks. We're now in the conceptual age where the information age is done. We have all mm -hmm. the information out there. It's how do we ask the right questions? How do we identify mm -hmm. the real problem and then come up with solutions for that? Uh, and then where do we go? The training is like, where do you find the information to address the issue and the problem? Uh, and then how do you uh, create the innovations and the possibilities, and then how do you decide which ones are going to move forward? And understanding that there's not just one solution, it, there's solutions that have to happen depending on the population that you're working with and what the problem is. There might be five different solutions that you have to do uh, simultaneously. But all that is a retooling of the infrastructure. I love that. I, I love that multi-prong approach. Um, and, and I think that that is you know, fabulous advice for any leader who is doing this work is almost asking the question, who am I missing? Who has got to be part of this conversation who I'm missing? So Ali, we'll go over to you. Um, final advice, thoughts, calls to action, anything else you would like to share? Yeah, you know, at NASA, we talk a lot about the difference between the rockets that fly, like the one that did last night, that was incredibly beautiful and inspirational, and the rockets that don't, that become a paper a paper study that end up in a drawer. And there's so many of those, right? Most things that most people work on, at least in large government institutions maybe, uh, end up in a drawer and they don't fly. And what's the difference between the two? And it really is perseverance. It's really not quitting when the story changes or the circumstance uh, when the need changes. It's being able to adapt uh, as, as that change has to happen and not giving up. And so I think my, my last exhortation is, you know, if we want innovative, sustainable, long-term infrastructure to create change, you just have to keep at it. It's a long process and there's a lot involved. So find others who will walk it out with you uh, and don't give up. I love that. So we're two for two. And Omonike, I know you are up to make this three for three. So we'll give you the final words here. And again, um, I totally agree with Ali and Larry. And uh, I just wanted to add that the leadership needs to increase uh, investment. Uh, uh, investment in the infrastructure, investment in the talent. And uh, like Larry said, going all the way back through K through 12. 
And, uh, but also in addition to uh, monetary investment in infrastructure, resources, and talent, I believe something has to change in the culture of several institutions. They need to have from the leadership all the way to the different uh, uh, departments and offices, you know, they need to have a culture of collaboration. And I think if they can instill that culture on that level where even in-house you're collaborating, it will be very natural to attract collaborators and mm -hmm. build uh, uh, sustainable and resilient infrastructure. So having that type of culture and also investing in programming and activities that actually encourage that throughout the organization will uh, help. So, but that all of that calls for advocacy to strategically deploy uh, increased investment in, in this culture of collaboration and synergizing existing efforts, even in our own institutions and, and partnering with others, um, but definitely building uh, that culture of collaboration and investing in it is something that I would say is key, but also uh, emphasizing bringing uh, the people to the table, bringing those, uh, the, the users, like Ali said, to the table and making sure that it's not only, your work is not only driven by what you think is a great idea, but uh, your strategic planning involves getting the buying of the community, the population you're actually trying to help. Uh, so I think investment and building a collaborative culture and also uh, bringing your team and, and your partners to the table. Well, we are certainly three for three. You all have knocked this out of the ballpark. Um, this has been a riveting panel talking about goal nine, building resilient infrastructure, promoting inclusive and sustainable industrialization and fostering innovation. And there are many takeaways that we've had during our time together. So to all of our viewers, thank you so much for tuning in. And to our panelists, thank you so much for sharing your insights and your wisdom with us here today. Take care, everybody.